short sermon. And all God's people said. <laughs> uh, just let you know, we are moving towards redesigning the, uh, the bulletin. And uh, Lord willing, after the first of the year, it'll be a lot slimmer. It'll have a different format. And one of the things that's going to disappear is the text of the scripture. Uh, we have these things in your pews in front of you called Bibles. Uh, and I hope you have one too. And if you don't have a Bible, I would love to give you one. So I want to give you fair warning to maybe go ahead and get in the habit of bringing your Bible back to church. It's good to be in your copy of God's Word. But this morning, in your Bible or in uh, the bulletin, we're looking at Genesis chapter 18. And we're going to start in verse 16. Before we do, let me remind you that the Bible is authoritative in its content, sufficient in its scope, clear in its message, necessary for salvation, final in history, and effective for redeeming sinners and building up the saints. Then the men set out from there, and they looked down towards Sodom. And Abraham went with them to set them on their way. The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him? For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. So the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. So the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. So the men turned from there and went towards Sodom. But Abraham still stood before the Lord. Then Abraham drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are fifty righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the fifty righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteousness righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fares the wicked. Far be that from you. Shall the, not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And the Lord said, If I find at Sodom 50, fifty righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. And Abraham answered and said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord, I who am but dust and ashes. Suppose five of the fifty righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find forty-five there. And again he spoke and said, Suppose forty are found there. He answered, For the sake of forty I will not do it. Then he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. Suppose thirty are found there. He answered, I will not do it if I find thirty there. He said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. Suppose twenty are found there. He answered, For the sake of twenty I will not destroy it. And th then he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak again but this once. Suppose ten are found there. He answered, For the sake of ten I will not destroy it. And the Lord went his way when he had finished speaking to Abraham. And Abraham returned to his place. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you for your word. I pray that it would go forth in power and conviction by the anointing of your Holy Spirit. We ask these things in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Have you ever heard about a situation and thought, how could they squander such an opportunity? Right? Maybe someone had a full ride to college, had everything they needed, 
and then they just never went to class and failed out. Wouldn't that make you mad? Or perhaps you have a friend who wins an all-expense-paid trip for four to all seven games of the World Series and decides to watch it on TV instead. Wouldn't that just kind of make you angry? I mean, how could you squander such an opportunity? Or, or perhaps there's a known cure for something if someone would just go to the doctor and they refuse to. Wouldn't, wouldn't that just make you mad? Well, those things can be pretty infuriating, but we got to be careful about throwing the first stone. Because as believers, we have this amazing opportunity that, that we don't take advantage of as much as we should This is not just prayer, but interceding on behalf of others before the throne of God. Do you know what it means to intercede? It simply means to take a person before the Lord in prayer and to do it regularly, deliberately, doggedly, persistently, consistently. As believers, we are uniquely qualified to do this, to take people before the throne of God because this is what Jesus is doing for us right now. Romans chapter 8, verse 34 says, Christ Jesus is the one who died, and more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Did you know that Jesus is praying for you? Isn't that good news? And if Jesus is praying for us, then perhaps we ought to follow suit and pray for others. How many times have you looked at a situation and thought it hopeless? How many times have you looked at a person and said they were beyond hope? How many times have you said there's just really no answer here? How many times have you thought something was too big for God? There's nothing impossible for God. And God has given us this amazing gift of intercessory prayer. And let us be busy about the work of it. In order to be able to intercede for someone, you first have to have access to God. And we see in our text this morning that both Abraham and we have special access to God because we have been saved by Christ. If you're a Christian, that is. If you're a Christian, then you have access to God. If you don't, then you don't have access to God. Call upon Him. Draw near to Him. Be saved. And then you will have access to God. We get to come before God and to present to Him our needs and the needs of others. Our text picks up in verse 16. Uh, After God has visited Abraham and Sarah, Uh, God has visited Abraham and Sarah along with two angels. It's an amazing text uh, from two weeks ago. I encourage you, if you weren't here, to go back and look at it. During his visit, the Lord God tells Abraham again and Sarah, for the first time at least face to face, uh, that she is going to have a son when she is 90 years old. And his name is going to be Isaac, which means he laughs. Uh, both Abraham and Sarah laughed when they heard God say that he was going to give them a child at such an advanced age, but they laughed for for different reasons. Now Abraham has provided a meal for the Lord. What an amazing text. Even as we come to the Lord's table, thinking about fellowshipping at the table with the Lord. Uh, He has provided a, a meal for the Lord and his two angels, and now it's time for them to go. And so the three visitors, they set out from the dinner table, they head to their car, right? And Abraham, being the, the good host he is, he walks them out the front door, and they, there they are, standing in the front yard. What great fellowship. And then they see something in the distance. They look towards Sodom. It's like a wet blanket. 
Have you ever had a great time of fellowship with someone, someone you've yearned to see, and then just something happens and it, it, the, your blood runs cold? That's what happens here. Everybody had heard about Sodom. Everybody knew that it, uh, it had a really bad reputation. Verse 20 tells us that the outcry of their sins had gone up before the Lord. Metaphorically speaking, I mean, every, the Lord knows everything. But if it reached God's ears, then you know it would have reached Abraham's ears only a dozen or so, two miles away. So as they stand out looking at Sodom, we have this unique monologue. Right? It, the Lord is going to turn to the two angels and he's, asked, he's going to ask this rhetorical question. It's kind of like you're watching a play and there's an aside here where the, the speaker needs to inform the, the audience what's going on. So in verse 17 through 19, the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have chosen him, that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised to him. Abraham is special. There's something special about Abraham. He's special because it was through Abraham that God was going to bring blessings to the nations. It was through Abraham that God would raise up a people for himself. And ultimately, it was through Abraham that he would bring the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. He would bring the Messiah into this world to save people like you and me in desperate need of salvation. So Abraham was special. And so God has this aside and says, hey... Should I, shouldn't I tell him what's going on? Shouldn't I invite him into this council to know what's about to happen? And in doing so, God invites Abraham to intercede, to intercede, to pray for the inhabitants of Sodom. One of the blessings of seeking the Lord, of walking by faith, of walking in the Spirit, is that the Lord will from time to time bring people to your mind. Have you ever woken up in the middle of the night thinking about someone? I remember uh, several years ago I woke up thinking about uh, one of my mentors, Claude McRoberts. Just, I mean, randomly, right? So I stopped and prayed for Claude. And then uh, I, I text him the next morning. He said, that's, that's wild, because at exactly that time, this, that, and the other were happening. Would you be obedient to intercede for others as the Lord brings them to mind? This is what God invites Abraham to do as he brings up Sodom. Verses 20 and 21, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. Now, do you think God had to come down from heaven to see what was going on in Sodom? Well, no. He is omniscient. He knows all things. He is omnipotent. He has all power. This is called accommodation. Or language of condescension. You know, it's kind of like when you talk to your children who are young or your grandchildren and you get down on their level and you talk to them in their terms. That's, by the way, what's going to happen in these following verses where it looks like Abraham is whittling God down. That's not what's going on here. This is God interacting with Abraham in a way that Abraham can understand. It's an amazing privilege that the Lord has given to Abraham. The Lord gave Abraham unprecedented access to him because of this special relationship. I've used this illustration before, but 
Uh, there's this great picture from 1963 of JFK sitting at his desk. And he's reading something presidential. And do you remember where JFK Jr. was? Right underneath in the middle, there's a little trap door in the Resolute desk. There he is playing. Why, why could he do that? Because he had a relationship with JFK, the president. Now, what would happen if you or I had tried to get under the president's desk? We might have a few more holes in us, right? We didn't have that kind of access. But we have access to God because he has saved us by the blood of his son, and he has counted us as righteous, just like he counted Abraham as righteous because of faith. Uh, Genesis 15, 6. We have access before someone who is far greater than the president of a fleeting superpower. We have access before the Lord of all creation, and not just access, but welcome access. He is our Father, and He listens and He knows. God knew what was going on in Sodom. He didn't have to investigate. Your Father knows the situation of whatever's going on in your life. He knows the situation of all those around you who need your prayer, whom He invites you to pray for. He knows all those things. Just like he invited Abraham to intercede for the inhabitants of Sodom, so he invites you to intercede on behalf of others around you. We have this amazing audience with the Lord because of what Jesus has done for us. We talked about it with the children, Hebrews 10, 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. If you're a believer in Christ, then the blood of Christ has been applied to you, meaning that Christ has, you've been covered by His blood. You have, your sins have been paid for by the precious blood of Jesus. And because of that, we don't have to be afraid to go into the presence of God Almighty who makes all things. And by the way, without that blood, we could not go into His presence without fear of destruction and wrath forever in hell. We can go to, to God because of what Jesus has done for us. We have this amazing privilege. Let us, let us be about taking advantage of it, not only for our good, but for the good of those around us. What keeps you from going before the Lord in prayer? What keeps you? What is keeping you from being persistent and bold and faithful in, in prayer for the desperate situations in your life and those around you? Is it because you don't believe it works? Why aren't you praying desperately for the health of your marriage, for the lost people in your life, for the blessing of your children, for the coming of God, for the healing of loved ones? What's keeping you from doing it? Is it disbelief? Is it fatigue? Is it laziness? Is it fear? Is it ignorance? Or is it sin? Psalm 66, 18, if I cherish iniquity in my heart, then the Lord would not have listened. You know, when we cherish sin in our lives, it keeps us from going to God because when we go to God, we know we've got to repent. God will not answer. He will not be faithful to the prayers when we are in unrepentant sin. First, we've got to deal with that. Is, is that. is there some sin you keep turning to? Is that what's keeping you before His throne? Brothers and sisters, we have access to God and He invites us to intercede for others. And so that takes us to verses 22 to 33. It's a unique passage in Scripture. I don't know of any other quite like it. You kind of have a parallel of this with Moses, this intercession for his people when God says, hey, I'm going to destroy everybody. And Moses reminds God of his love for his people and his promises. 
But it's, this is a special passage. I want to use this passage to draw out a few principles for intercessory prayer as we engage to pray for those whom the Lord puts in our lives. And the first is that we are called to pray specifically. Specifically. Abraham is compelled to pray specifically for a certain people and for a specific outcome. Now, sometimes we don't know how to pray. I'm sure you've been there before. When the situation is so desperate and we run to the Lord and say, Lord, I don't even know how to pray for this situation. But a lot of times we do. And so we tell God that. Lord, I don't know how to pray for this. Help me to know how to pray for it. We put it before you. But we are called to pray specifically for things. He does pray specifically for Sodom. He prays specifically that God would, for the sake of the righteous, if there are righteous people in the city, we'll see next week that's not the case, that he would spare the city. What's the situation for which he's praying for? It, it's not that he's bothered by the fact that God's going to destroy Sodom. Did, did you catch that? He's not bothered by that. He doesn't object or see the, the wicked receiving the swift and just judgment of God. Modern sensibilities might be bothered by what's going to transpire next week in Genesis 19, but Abraham wasn't. He simply says... Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? This is what he's concerned about. His concern is that God's wiping away the wicked citizens of Sodom, that there are those who are still righteous who will die. That's not that they're perfect. It means they're believers. They fear God. And so he intercedes on behalf of the city of Sodom so that if there's a sizable remnant who believe in the Lord, they will too not be wiped away. One of the reasons why it's important that we pray specifically is so that we know when God has answered our prayer. When you pray specifically, you're, you're looking for a specific result. And so you can look and say, hey, look what the Lord did. God is glorified by that kind of thanksgiving. There was a unique week in my life. It's never been repeated. It was a week in June of 2015. And it was a week in which I just saw the Lord answer more prayers than I've ever seen in my entire life. And, and as I began to see these prayers being answered left and right, I started writing them down. I still have an email I sent June 2015. 24 specific answers to prayer, to specific prayers. 24. They were prayers from health to finances to pastoral issues, conversions. Where's Noah? June 2015 was when Noah went forward at VBS at the Baptist Church and professed Christ. I don't know if that was your day of salvation or when you renewed your walk with Jesus. I don't know. That was a great day. Pray specifically. Pray specifically. The second is a key to second key to intercessory prayers is boldness. That we would pray boldly. Liberal commentators don't understand this passage. They hate this passage. They say it had been made up. Because who could address God like this? Who could be this bold? It's almost embarrassing how bold Abraham is in this text. It really is. He begins with asking God to spare the city if 50 righteous people are found in it. Then he comes back five more times. 45, 40, 30, 20, 
God, if ten righteous people are found in the city, will you not spare the city? And the Lord answers, yes. We'll find next week that while God answered yes, Sodom is not spared because there weren't ten righteous people in it. Lot and his two daughters are the only ones who are saved. His wife starts out, but she's delayed when she turns into a pillar of salt. I think we are called to pray boldly. Sometimes I don't think we ask boldly enough. We, we ask for too small of things. We may pray for one person's salvation, but what about all of our friends by name? We may pray for help paying a bill. That's good. But what about that we'd pray we'd have enough that we could give a bunch away? We pray that our children might love the Lord. Great prayer. But, but perhaps we would pray that they would lead others to Jesus too. We pray for the church to grow. But what about needing to add a whole other service or planning the second, third, and fourth Presbyterian churches? I think we're to pray boldly, to ask for big things. Hand in hand with praying boldly is praying persistently. Abraham asked for bold things and he kept asking for it. He didn't give up, he didn't quit. In the words of one commentator, he seemed to be feeling his way forward by faith. Finally figuring out where he needed to stop. Luke 18 begins with these words. And he, Jesus, told them a parable to the fact they ought always to pray and not lose heart. It's easy to lose heart in prayer, isn't it? Let's be honest. Especially when it seems that the answer still is no or not yet. And it's, it can be hard to, to stay persistent in prayer. But my friends, let me tell you, there is blessing with sincere, persistent, bold prayer. God encourages us to continue day after day, to pray. And we can throw gasoline on those prayers by fasting alongside. God blesses fasting in an amazing way. We don't obligate God. We don't put Him in a corner when we fast. We're not bartering with God. We're... But God invites us into this special blessing of, of fasting. My friends, if you want to see victory over your sin, fast. If you want to see your children love Jesus, then fast. If you want to see the Lord do great things in our church, then fast. My father was converted through the years-long persistent prayers of one of my mother's family members. She had been a missionary in Japan. And she met my father when he was dating, engaged at the time uh, to my mother, and she knew that he wasn't a believer. He fooled everybody else. And she began praying daily for my father. And days turned into weeks, which turned into months, which turned into over a decade. Every day, in his mid-30s, my father became a believer. Don't give up. Don't give up. Pray persistently. But there's another key here to intercessory prayer, and that's what we pray with humility. There's a difference between bold prayer and irreverent prayer. We should be careful here. There's a difference between bold prayer and irreverent prayer. Abraham wasn't offensive to the Lord. He knew his position. He knew who he was, and he knew who God was. He was reverent in his prayer. 
Listen to some of these phrases. I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. He says that twice. I am but I who am but dust and ashes. Twice he says, O Lord, let not, uh, O Lord, let not the Lord be angry. I will speak again but this once. He knows his place. There's a difference between being bold in prayer and being demanding in prayer. We're not to be demanding. We must be careful never to think we can obligate God. We can't declare to Him what He must do. We cannot dictate His actions. Great is our Lord, not us. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure, Psalm 147. In one of my, one of my pastor buddies talking to his son, he said, Son, you can tell me anything. Just remember, I'm your father. That's how we come to God in prayer. But one of the things, too, when we come to God in prayer, is in humility, we come to Him in humility, willing to be able to accept His answer. It's not humility if we come to Him with all the right words and reverence, and then He answers no, and then we get angry. That's not called humility. It turns out we were putting ourselves in the position of being Lord over Him. God always answers prayer, yes, no, not yet, or immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. Yes, no, not yet, immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. God will always answer your prayers, every time. But we have to be willing to accept the no's. Because our God is holy and righteous and just and mortal, eternal, infinite, limitless, uncomprehensible. You never know what the Lord's doing when He answers no. It could be for your good. Thursday night I was called out late. Um, Jack Taylor fell. And uh, he was okay. Pray for Jack. He has the flu. And we're praying he doesn't have a fractured hip. 11.45 I got in my car, my truck. Turned. Didn't even give me a click. It's bad when there's not even a click, right? And, uh, and the beeping went, it was dead. I, it wasn't a problem to get to Jack because I have the van. I, I can get in the van. But Thomas and I were going hunting to start the youth hunt Friday morning before daylight. And as I sat there, I thought, wow, this is no good. So we went Friday afternoon after we got my battery fixed. But Thomas and I sat and talked about how, you know, we had prayed hard that the Lord would keep us safe. I know my mama was praying hard that we'd be safe. I know my bride was praying hard that we'd be safe. You never know what might have happened that Friday morning. If we're going to pray and put our lives in God's hands, then we ought to be willing to accept when He actually guides them. Even when we don't like the way He does. Finally, we must pray according to God's character. When Abraham draws near before the Lord to bring his request, he's appealing to two divine attributes of God, his mercy and his justice. Verse 25 captures it well. Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? Can you feel the tension in this text? Because of God's justice, he appeals to God's mercy. When we pray, we must pray according to his will, that is his revealed will, what he desires for us. We must pray according to his character. 
James tells us, uh, he'll tell us next time we look at James, uh, that you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly that you might spend it on your passions. Sometimes we pray for things just so that life will be easier for us. Sometimes God gives us those things, but oftentimes He doesn't. 1 John 5 helps us here. And this is the confidence that we have towards Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. So we are called to pray according to God's character. Our text ends with the Lord ending the exchange. It's interesting that Abraham asked one last time, and then God walks away. The Lord's done. And it's interesting, he says, he's, it, it, we don't find him going into Sodom. He sends the two angels. Apparently, it's, there's too much going on for the Lord himself to go. You know, the reality is that God did say yes six times to Abraham's pleas for the mercy on the city if ten righteous people were found, but ten righteous people were not found. And Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed by God. Do you find it offensive? We'll look at a, what the world says is a very offensive text next week, Lord willing. But the reality is that what Sodom and Gomorrah received is what we deserve too. That's what we deserve. Our sins might be different than the sins of those in Sodom and Gomorrah for which they'll be called out, which were myriad, by the way. It wasn't just one. might be different, but we're no less guilty. It's always easier to look at others and say, yep, mm-hmm. When we think of Sodom and Gomorrah, that's what we deserve. The reality is that apart from the grace and mercy of God, that's where we would be. But the good news of Jesus is that He took the fire and brimstone that we deserve because of our sin on the cross. That we might be covered by His blood, that we might have access to God. So remember when we talked about the person who received the tickets to all the World Series games and squandered them. The one who received the the full ride to college and never went to class and squandered it. Don't squander the amazing gift of access before the throne that God might use us to bring himself glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the bold access we have before you because of what Christ has done for us. Father, I pray that we would be about your business before your throne, that we might see your kingdom come in our lives and in this world. We ask these things in the name of Christ. Amen.